Hi, I'm Dr. Gordon Ressler, the president and founder of Robots in Space. And if you want to get the latest in space technologies and business, listen to the Cold Star Project. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization, or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. My guest today is Atul Vashista. He's recognized as the uh, one of the top 25 most influential consultants and top 14 IT power brokers by Consulting Magazine. He's the author of several books, including The Offshore Nation and Globalization Wisdom. And it's not really surprising then that one of his company names is Supply Wisdom, which is all about monitoring supply chains and uh, providing real-time and continuous data and risk monitoring of locations and suppliers. So if you're a member of the global supply chain, this could be very important. Uh, the reason I wanted a tool on is he was the vice chair of the Department of Defense's Defense Business Board, and he served on that board for a number of years, uh, starting in 2006 and ending in uh, 2020, so just now. He has a lot of experience. That's the important thing here. Atul and I are going to dig into exactly how that advisory board works, the Defense Business Board. And I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, it's not just boring committee work. It's actually helping shape the DOD and the culture and the processes and even the, the what. <laughs> the what of what are we going to get done. So, Atul, welcome. Appreciate you being here. Uh, we had a, 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 an off-camera talk a little while ago, and I enjoyed learning about um, the business that you've created because I'm like the mini-me version right now, and you've got a lot of software automation um, tendrils out in the world pulling data in, filtering it. And we'll get to your company, Supply Wisdom, in a little bit. Um, but the main reason I wanted you on was Steve Blank talking about the Defense Business Board and what happened to all the appointees. And I want to stay away from the politics because that doesn't lead anywhere good. Although we may touch on it a little bit because you've got a point of view uh, about that. It's very positive. But let's begin with this, Atul. What is it, uh, or what are the circumstances under which you uh, are, are appointed to the Defense Business Board? How, like I'm not in a position yet, and I know it, to deserve uh, being appointed to something like that, although I would very much like to be. But you have to have run a real company. So let's begin with that. Yeah, I think so. First of all, it's you know it's a quintessential kind of American dream in the sense that you know I never imagined serving on the board of the Defense Department, the Defense Business Board. What I always imagined was being successful in business and and using that to be able to make a difference in this world. And whether that world was in a in a community, whether it was in a company, or whether it was in government, that. You know, that's what I wanted to do. And as part of that journey, you know, what I've done is I've created, I've created two companies and create those companies with a people first culture. So making sure it's people first and customer next. But in that whole process, I've also believed in learning and sharing. So as part of that, uh, I've written three books. And interestingly, um, based on what I was, what I, what was told to me is that uh, the White House called in 2006, and um, I was asked to come and speak to the Defense Business Board because 
somebody had read one of my books and particularly this whole chapter on governance and how one should better manage governance both within the organization, but also when you're using a lot of third parties and suppliers. And so I actually came and to the Pentagon at one of the board meetings and spoke to the board about how to create good governance. Hmm. Now it starts to touch on kind of what the defense business board does. And based on that, um, from what I've, what I've known and what I've heard uh, that based on that talk and discussion that I had, they felt like that there was maybe a piece missing on the board. So the, think of the board as not just a set of business leaders, but really a set of unique strengths, unique experiences that can really inform the senior leadership of the department on areas that they could benefit from. It could be talent management, it could be contracts, it could be kind of uh, the health of our allies, it could be retirement programs really. And of course now today, much of uh, advances that are happening in technology where somebody can give them a unique point of view. And that's truly you know, how that story came along. And I've been asked once by a board member, who do you know? You know, who do you know mm. that you got on the board? And, you know, the honest, true answer is nobody. Mm. It, it was truly about, you know, kind of an opportunity where they had a need. And, and at that point in time, my skill set kind of came together. Okay. So really a boring story. No, <laughs> I disagree. Not boring. Uh, and, and, and also kind of duplicatable, too, because it's hard to duplicate. It's all who you know. Uh, but it is easier to say, well, I'm going to go create something. I'm going to go develop some expertise. Uh, I'm going to create some content that shares that expertise, or at least the flavor of it to get to somebody who has the, the power to do something about its attention. Uh, and that's a lot of work, but it's not uh, <laughs> in Mount Everest uh, climb. It is, it is doable for somebody uh, over a period, I think, of a few years. They could, they could do something like that. But very, very neat that you created your own opportunity there and, uh, and somebody picked it up. So tell us about the Defense Business Board. Uh, let's assume that the, the person watching this or listening to this has no experience with it. So, you know, I think so a caveat as, a, as you know, the famous poet Alexander Pope said, a little learning is a dangerous thing. So I come armed with a little bit of learning. I think DOD is such a massive, complex, and incredible purpose organization that from somebody from outside who did not serve, uh, was, not in the, was not in the armed services, I think it's a very difficult organization to understand, mm. but has incredible people. And over the years, and what DOD has done is, I think from what I know today, there's about 41 different boards, but there's four boards that stand out. They really are focused on providing expertise to the senior leaders in the department. Some of the oldest ones are the Defense Science Board, the Defense Policy Board, and then over two decades ago, the Defense Business Board. And then there's another board called the Defense Innovation Board. Let me focus on the Defense Business Board because I was asked to serve on it in 2006 and I served on it until a few months ago, until about November of 2020. So under, under three different presidents, President Bush, President Obama, and, and President Trump, of course. So it's a federal, under the Federal Advisory Committee Act, the, these boards serve as independent entities that provide advice. In terms of the Defense Business Board, our customer truly was the Secretary of Defense, the Deputy Secretary of Defense, the Chairman, and the vice chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff. Now, of course, we also advised uh, often the service secretaries and others as asked, for example, acquisition and others. 
the biggest perspective or the biggest differentiator that we brought was that if you looked at the board, what you would find is that each was very singularly experienced either having grown a very large company, maybe they grew uh, and were the CEO of Raytheon or the, or the head of Ogilvy PR or the head of Milbank Tweed, one of the largest law firms, or they were very specialists that they'd grown to some of their a top area, like they were a supply chain expert and, and had led that at Dell, myself that has done globalization, global business services, risk management, and have really done that consistently and at a very, very large scale level. And that you could bring that expertise to the department and not serving us serving the department on our own choice, but the problem set is brought by the department leaders. So that's when the Secretary of Defense comes in or the acquisition head comes in and says, I have this problem that I'm trying to solve. Can you, the board, put together a task force? And usually it was about three or four of us led by, led by one of us and take the next three months or six months to give us real-time advice on how are corporations, how is the private sector solving this? So they got informed with at no cost to them, you know, as our chairman used to joke that we all got stock options, <laughs> truly. And, you know, that's what we served and not, not, of course, there's no stock options at DOD, but you got this relevant expertise from people that had been there, been there done it, and could also in today's world, because of all our networks, could access leaders that were doing it today. So if we were looking at logistics, we might go to you know, a UPS, a FedEx, an Amazon to understand that. If we're looking at massive, you know, uh, re, kind of redoing talent, we might go to companies that are known for it, that are some of, some of the best places to work. So those are, that's the advice that we basically gave to those leaders at DOD from the Defense Business Board. Okay. Uh, now, I have served on municipal committees, uh, much lower level <laughs> kind of scope, uh, and, and chaired them and, and that. Um, so I'm curious about these task force uh, groups that you mentioned. Um, in my world, we probably would have called them subcommittees. Uh, and so how, how does that work? Like, who, who appoints you? Uh, who appoints the who, the person running that group, or is it just a sort of a meritocracy where you hash it out amongst yourselves? Yeah. Uh, and what happens if there's conflict, or is it just obvious that one person yeah. should be in charge? And then, um, are you meeting? Because you you would fly into Washington, you know, every so often to have a meeting of the Defense Business Board. Uh, clearly, you can't get all the work done that you're talking about on these task forces. Um, in that time, so you got to meet on your own time. When does that happen? Is that do you make time during yeah. the day, or is that an evening thing? Tell us about that process. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, so the Defense Business Board has typically been about twenty to twenty-five members, right? And remember, so this is nobody gets paid, mm -hmm. uh, and the only thing that gets covered is when we have travel related to a meeting, we would come in. So we had we had a board meeting every quarter. It was it was a day long meeting, and in the day long meeting, we would all the board members would come in at the Pentagon and there would be two parts to that meeting primarily. One would be, it could be a briefing to make sure we're knowledgeable about the key issues that are facing those senior leaders and those senior leaders themselves coming in and talking to us about key initiatives or key areas that they're focused on and their desire to want to understand more about certain, certain, one, of, certain one of these areas. 
based on those requests, what we would create is something called a term of reference, a tour. And we would uh, give that term of reference to that customer. So the Secretary of Defense, Deputy or the Chairman and say, does this describe the challenge that you want us to give you answers to? And we would also at that point in time, take three or four board members. And this is where the chairman and I was a vice chairman for the last two years. We would sit down and say, who is best qualified in our group to be able to do this? And who has the experience that we should appoint them the chairman? So usually there would be a chairman of that task force. So remember, this is not standing groups. These groups would come together from our board either for three months, maybe six months, almost never more than that. And at the end of it, so we would basically then pick members from, the, from, our, from our group. At any given point in time, our board was doing three or four different initiatives, right? And they would last from three to six months. We would always report out on these groups and our, and our recommendations publicly. And then we would basically provide it as a readout or a presentation to that customer. But everything we did was always in sunlight. It's all available as a, as a, as a public document. Okay. Uh, now, when you, so you've talked about the, the, how long these groups last, how the people are uh, appointed to them. Um, can you take us through an example uh, of one that, that you remember, <laughs> obviously, yeah, absolutely. Um, where you're done the meeting uh, at the Pentagon and now you've got to go away and maybe have meetings like this or phone calls or something like that. How does the work get distributed, um, you know, sort of off camera and then you're going to come back and report on it? Absolutely. So let's use an example of a task force that I led. Um, I led a task force uh, that it's all available online on the DBB website called Innovative Culture, Virtual Consultancies and Engaging Talent. And so Ash Carter had this big initiative, Secretary Carter had this big initiative regarding how do we foster innovation within DOD, right? And one of the thoughts we gave him was that, you know, companies use this, this concept called virtual consultancies, where you basically create mechanisms to solicit ideas and those ideas bubble up to the final ones that then kind of get experimented. And then if they work, finally get spread out across the organization but it's all coming from within the organization, this, this whole innovation. So um, the chairman asked me to lead it because I've, I've, I've been very uh, involved with innovation, new ideas, kind of how do you take them to scale? And I looked within the team and, and, I, and I basically, along with the chairman's help, selected three members that had very wide perspectives. You know, they came from different kinds of backgrounds um, and you could tell that they've had tremendous engagement themselves in, these kind of, in this kind of initiatives. We always did two things once we got the members involved. Usually the first planning session in terms of how we want to approach it, who do we want to talk to, what does the timeline look like, what are the interim deliverables, we would almost always do that physically. You, and usually, you know, in a two to four hour meeting at the Pentagon, our group also had two other resources that we would tap into. We always had a staff of about only three, a director, a deputy director and, and, our, and a kind of like our front office at the, D, at the DBB, all employees of DOD Defense Department. Every once in a while, one of the services would second, uh, usually an 06 to 08 on our group for a period of six months to a year. So it might be somebody between um, a Marine or, or, or a Navy between assignments that would get assigned to us for six months to 12 months. One of them would get assigned to one of these task force to assist us. So they were the common thread, the common person among all this stuff. 
So what we would do then is then we would divvy up part of the project. One of them, for example, would be is let's find out, are there any virtual consultancies, innovation-like projects happening within the department? We found amazing examples. We found API, air, air, airmen powered by innovation, a group that was doing that in the Air Force. We found a group called the Hatch in the Navy. We found something called StrikerNet uh, in, in the Marines. So we actually found pockets of innovation. Actually, they were taking place, of course, not at scale yet. And then we said, okay, who do we think are the most innovative companies across, you know, at scale across the world that we should talk to? And, you know, and some examples came up, you know, was, we know some of them, the Amazons, the Facebooks of the world, but we also found great examples at United Healthcare. We found great examples at Ogilvy PR and others that were using innovation that would really involve their team members, their employees. So together, what we did then is we collected that and those would happen. And then once, usually once a week for an hour, we would all touch base and make sure we updated each other on what the progress was. Usually mid project, we would fly in again. And we would put this all like a war room on our DBV wall and say, what are we learning? What are we hearing? And say, do we need to recalibrate our plan in terms of who we need to talk to, where we need to dig deeper? Is there a new line of questioning that we didn't think about that we've discovered in this case? Like we did, we found all these examples of innovation within DVB, not at scale, but tremendous. I still remember talking to uh, NAFSEC Mabus about this and walking him through an idea. And he said, Atul, funny that you talk about it, but we're actually including that in our fit rep, in our annual performance appraisal, right? So they were already thinking about how to change the culture bottom up. And then once that happens, and then we typically get together um, a week before the final report is due because we, there's a lag between because of you know, public notices and all that. And we get together and finally put together the final report. And that final report, then usually um, we always have something called the red team. This mm -hmm. is a group of two or three board members that were not on our, they basically, they, are, they become our client and they, their job is to murder that report, challenge us, question our assumptions. And so that really forms the next version of our report. And at that point in time, a public note, a public meeting is called usually at our board meeting itself. Hmm. We open it to the public, we announce it, we present it, the, the entire board at that point in time questions us, challenges us, and then we ratify the report. And once it's public, then we can brief other people within the department. But because of the FACA laws and, and other, we cannot brief midterm to anybody within, within DOD. It has to be done once it's public. And, uh, and then of course we get to hear from the public and provide other parts of our feedback. So hopefully that kind of quickly described to you our process. Right. <laughs> I'm curious if listeners think that was quickly, um, but I got a lot out of it uh, because you really described the nuts and bolts of how it worked. Who, who writes the report? Is that usually down to one person as the lens or do different people do chunks and kind of put it together? Yeah, so this, is, this, is a, this becomes an important role of the chairman, right? Okay. So, uh, okay. you know, like many federal advisory committees that you'll see out there, they have a lot of consultants that they hire. Hmm. The DBB never did that. Okay. So the, in the DBB, the goal was, hey, this is business leaders providing advice and let's, let's do, this is, our, this is our wisdom, this is our experience and our network. Yeah. So we basically did the work. The staff very ably supported us for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't wanna you know, um, uh, make, make sure that's highlighted, but the chairman really owed 
the own the final report with the support of the members. Okay. Is there like a standard format for that or does the chairman make it up every time uh, to suit the no, content? Well, it, it, did, it did change a little bit, but there were certain things that were very obvious. You know, first it started with the tour, the members. It's, it started with kind of our, our view of what are key observations within the department, outside the department, our key findings, and then our recommendations and sources. So that was kind of very much a typical uh, format. So how, how does the DOD make sure that the knowledge that you guys uh, capture and focus and comment upon remain available and easy to find? Uh, I have a friend of mine and I who are both business owners. <laughs> we've been through this ourselves. Uh, you look in like, say, somebody's Google Drive uh, in, <laughs> in the business and <laughs> you're giggling because you know, uh, to find something, right? The organizational structure is usually bananas, right? It, or non-existent. Uh, and that's something that we take care of at Cold Stars uh, is going in and creating that library structure. So how do they do it there? Yeah, so you know what, actually, uh, actually very easy. And I've seen it happen because I've seen multiple transition presidential transitions. Mm -hmm. So actually, I've actually seen this in action. So first of all, you know, there mm -hmm. is actually a statute in, in uh, DOD that requires any of these studies, once they're completed, to be submitted to DISA and it be searchable and available in DISA. Okay. We know the taxonomy and all that's not so easy for these systems to do, but there's actually a statute that requires it. So I know DBB really complies with that. The second is that, you know, mm -hmm. DBB has been there for two decades. So what we are finding is that when DOD leaders are starting a new initiative that often, and they'll come to us to say, hey, give me all the studies you've done on talent management because personal readiness is looking to make a big change. Mm. Or a comptroller's office might come and say, give us all the studies you've done on cost of soldier or cost of services, right? So we often, when a new leader comes into these roles, there's very, very, I've seen this multiple times when they'll ask us to provide them all the studies this is the benefit of having an organization that's been there for two decades. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, the old man in me is going, uh, two decades, uh, 1980, you know, no, no, it's 2000. <laughs> the board members, the board yeah. members have of course changed. Yeah. So the wisdom right. has always stayed relevant. So right. no, it's right. not the same board members from 20 years right. ago. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, and you're the closest thing to it. I mean, your term was 13, 14 years that you kept getting re-upped every year, right? For it. So that was, that was very cool. Cause I didn't know that the, uh, the services would supply uh, kind of a liaison member or content member. Uh, to talk through things, and uh, and you you took us through the whole process of creating one of these reports. So really interesting. Um, since the staff does not write the report, and I, I remember in my municipal uh, appointments, staff were vital, right? They they were um, taking notes. They were they were keeping records. Um, sometimes in in my cases, they would write the reports uh, and letters and things like that, and they would do the process of presenting it to council as well. Um, in your experience, what, where were the valuable sort of touch points for staff? Well, I think the first is for many of us on the board. So on the board, there are some members who had a defense industrial base or defense ba or mm -hmm. background in the past. So they understood uh, DOD really well. For many of us that come from industry that, that did not serve, they were very valuable in helping us understand the hierarchy or the mm -hmm. roles. And so they could guide us to the right people. Okay. And, and so, and then the other part was often when we were looking at understanding how a certain function was being done internally, 
they were able to pick up uh, some of the load. And then the final thing I would say is, you know, <laughs> often when you make recommendations, right? It's not enough to see them from the lens of the industry, which is what we saw it as, right? It was also important to be able to understand how to see that from the lens of DOD. Yeah. And the staff would be very helpful in challenging us or helping us understand how do you see that through the lens of the industry? Now, it was important for us as board members also never to be stuck with just because it hasn't worked before doesn't mean things need to be done again or pushed on or focused on. Mm. So we, we had to always look for that, but the staff was very useful in kind of giving us that, that lens. Yeah, and I'll agree with you from my own experience as well about staff being extremely helpful on how to sell. <laughs> It's the administration, <laughs> yes. right? These ideas. How do you how do you do it? How and it can come down to the individual as well. So and so doesn't like this sort of thing, and so steer clear of that, right? Or make sure you address it, uh, and and have them relax about it by doing that. Yeah. So that that is awesome. Um, with with your contributions in that, um, do you believe that the the Defense Business Board is accomplishing its mission? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think if I were to compare it from a private industry perspective, and if I was on a private industry board providing feedback, how fast would change, change happen? So if I look at it from that lens, I would say, yeah, accomplishing it purpose, but as not as much as I expected it would, right? If I look at it from the lens of DOD, I mean, there's no scale of any company like DOD. So let's be honest, right? So when you think about scale and how change occurs at the speed which it occurs, I think one has to be realistic about it. The important thing I would say is I have a chart in front of me, uh, Jason, that I'll send to you. And mm -hmm. this chart just focuses on talent management studies. And the important thing that stands out, it'll show you from 2002 to 2019, all the studies that DOD asked for from us on talent management. And remember the study is not a study. What, when they came to us, it's because it's an issue that they cared about. And they said, tell me how the private industry is dealing with this. And mm -hmm. it'll, it, what, it, what it does, it'll, it'll share with you that how their thinking is and how they wanted their thinking to be impacted. So often what we found was that when they asked us to do a study, we saw the impact of that two or three years later because either legislation needed to be changed or fundamentally when you change a business process, like imagine a fit rep, a performance evaluation, or a retirement program, or a hiring practice, or a performance uh, you know, management practice. In private sector, sometimes we can make that change in a quarter or in two quarters. In DOD, that process might take 12 to 24 months or longer. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think tremendous, uh, first of all, tremendous engagement from senior leaders, mm -hmm. right? That, that to me is sign. The kind of task they gave you tells you that they are thinking progressively. And the third I would say is there's some great examples of changes that have been made uh, because of the advice that DBB provided. But from a private sector lens, from a speed perspective, maybe not as fast as I would have liked to see. Okay, that makes sense though. I mean, this is, this is like a super tanker, right? It's not gonna stop on a dime. <laughs> it's gonna take a couple miles, you know, to, <laughs> to make Jason, a serious change, yeah. Jason, that's the, I, I think it was my, my first few years on the DBB and yeah. Gordon England, mm -hmm. Secretary Depp, like England said to me, a tool, don't be impatient or be patient. Don't be impatient. Yeah. We're like a tanker. Yeah. We do okay. turn, by the way, just yeah. so you know, we do turn. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that, that leads me to my next question, uh, which is if you could go back and kind of grab 
2006 a tool by the caller and say hey look <laughs> i'm coming to you from the future uh, what what would you advise your yourself your younger self to pay attention to uh that maybe wouldn't have stood out to you back in that era but by now you're like wow that, that i need to to really keep my my finger on the pulse of this yeah so I would say, you know, uh, two things. One I would say is, is I would have tried to figure out how to be better educated on DOD mm. and its priorities and challenges mm -hmm. faster. I think I could, I could have contributed more if I had learned that sooner. Um, and I think, and, and we've tried to make some changes um, since I've, I've been the vice chair and, and the chair in terms of how do we educate incoming board members so they can contribute faster. I, I would think that that's number one. Number two, I would say is, is I did not appreciate soon enough that the, the impact transition has, you know, the four year, our mm -hmm. typical presidential transition has on program continuity. I think it really impacts how well programs continue and engaging the civilians, the, the ones that are you know, the SESs more so in some of this, I think could, could be a much better factor in the speed of adoption and the, the level of adoption because they're there, right? The yes. civilian population is there. I'm not just talking about the appointees. I'm talking about the SES carer. I, carer. I think that's, that to me is, I would <laughs> learn and focused on that much earlier in this uh, journey. Very, very interesting that it's people focused. Uh, I, I was fortunate in the, in the things that I did because I had read biographies. Um, hopefully somebody listening will take this away. When you get appointed to these roles, uh, I think it's vital to be aware that there's a countdown clock ticking, uh, <laughs> that, you're, that you're involved now, yes, but you only have a number of limited days to get things done. And, uh, and so it's okay to kind of, um, flounder around a little bit and figure out your way. But uh, as you say, getting into alignment uh, and, and figuring out how to steer the ship a little bit uh, and, and have an impact and knowing that that clock is ticking down that uh, you may think yeah. that you say you've got an appointment, even it's a one year thing in this case with renewal. But um, I think I was appointed for two year terms at a time or something. And, and you've got that countdown clock ticking yeah. all the time. And, and uh, I was very conscious of that at the beginning. And I think it would be valuable for people to have that um, at any job that you yeah, enter, a good point. right? Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. the day that you start, <clears throat> um, you're there for a limited time, no matter what. So um, I guess, We've talked about key takeaways and uh, and that, but you just mentioned something that made my my inner ear kind of you know pop up and go. What what tools or what uh, resources would you recommend that uh, that I look at, <laughs> other people look at, they can come along for the ride uh, to learn that those DoD preferences and and ways of doing things and get up to speed faster. Yeah, so you know, um, I think the composition of the board. And so think about the same way comp composition of your advisors in a sense. I think having some members who've been there for a while helped the assimilation and learning of the new members, but having enough new members that kind of cycle through mm -hmm. kind of keeps everything fresh and innovative, right? So having that, that good balance, I, I, think, I, I think is really helpful. 
personally for myself, and I still do it today, by the way, personally for myself, there's a few newsletters that I, that I, I get, you know, for example, I, I read the early morning at uh, the early bird every morning, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's one of the first two, three things that I do every morning is because it just gives me a very quick idea. What's most relevant today. What are the biggest things that these leaders are working on? And then the other thing is, you know, I always at, at periodic intervals, I listen to the speeches, you know, when, when president Biden makes a speech and he talks about, he's got four priorities and he repeats yeah. that over the next set of two, three speeches that tells you there's four priorities. Same thing with when secretary Austin in a public setting talks about these are his top three priorities, right? And he reinforces that another session when he talks at let imagine some of the think tank, you know what those priorities are. Now what we as leaders have to do is think about those three priorities and say, what could be key programs that could be help that help DOD be successful? And then let's take a look at the private sector and say, who is it out there that really does it well? That's be honest with you, that's what informs my reading in terms of areas that I, ca- I care. By the way, Jason, I do the same thing with wine. You know, lately I've been mm-hmm. very interested, interested in Syrah instead of Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing a lot of reading about how Syrah is different in Australia versus, you know, Southern Rhone versus uh, the US. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like. <laughs> Looking at pockets of excellence, maybe mm. is the best way I think about it. Okay, but you have to have your head screwed on right <laughs> to have the discernment to be able to pick out what is a pocket of excellence and then ignore uh, sort of the the, the, the uh, noise or the static. Um, you know, I, and again, self-serving question here that just popped into my head. <clears throat> um, I want to find out more about what the, the leaders in the DOD and, and the, the armed services want. And uh, I, I'm subscribed to a number of um, otherwise excellent YouTube channels. Some of the, I mean, you go to the Kansas City Public Library YouTube channel and you're going to find some pretty cool speakers on there. Um, but there's more traditional things like the Dole Institute, which have good speakers in that. Um, and then there's other channels which have a, a, a consistent flow of military speakers and that. And I find myself not listening to those uh, folks so much as, as maybe I should. Um, and I, I, I turn to the geopolitics stuff. Uh, I, I want to listen to a Stephen Kotkin uh, more than I want to listen to some Air Force general who is unfortunately, I fear, going to spend my hour talking about some technical capabilities that they're working on developing. Um, which I find kind of boring to tell you the truth, uh, because I want to, that's not about what they want. That's about the sort of the here and now. Um, is there, is, am I wrong <laughs> is it from your perspective? Uh, is there, is there a place where they're talking about these more geopolitical issues? And, and some people will say, well, Jason, the military's job isn't to do that. That's the civilian leaders. And then um, military comes in and figures out sort of the how, uh, part of an application of force. I don't agree with that. Uh, I think that they're smart enough and behind closed doors, they do talk about these things uh, and I want to help them uh, get to where they want to go. Um, but I- is there a place where they are talking about these these uh, sort of medium term or geopolitical higher level issues uh, and not just talking about the, the technical stuff that they're working on? Or am I just, um, am I snookered? on that stuff because they're in the now and they're employed, they, you know, their term is still going, right? And uh, maybe they're afraid to talk about stuff like that because it gets shut down or it'll negatively affect their career. Well, I, th- I think, so first of all- um, Hopefully that you know, made sense at all. <laughs> yeah, 
So first of all, I think you know you focus on kind of what interests you, right? So mm -hmm. if I if I want to understand policy, mm -hmm. and particularly if I want to understand, you know, what is our policy towards Turkey or towards mm -hmm. China, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to what uh, what you know the uh, deputy for policy or or the, you know or, or the head for policy is, is talking about, right? And then if I listen to General Austin, you know, those two come together because there's going to be consistency around it. DOD has really smart, intelligent people. I mean, that's one thing that stood out for me, right? This is not about brute force. This is about people that understand diplomacy, that people that, are, that understand nation building, and of course, to keep our nation safe. But it's such a massive organization that if you have to understand policy, you really have to look at the policy shop. Right. I mean, it truly it, that that's where that tremendous amount of thinking comes in, and they have the benefit of getting advice from the Defense Policy Board and some amazing mm. thinkers out there. Right. If you want to understand kind of science, you have to think about the Defense Science Board and DARPA and others, right? That that are doing some, or the Rapid Joint Development Cell and others. So I think you have to really go like, what is it that I want to know? You know, I I spent some time with the Secretary Barrett, uh, and hearing about kind of how they were thinking about the formation of the Space Force. You know, she's she spoke at think tanks, right? If you listen mm -hmm. to those speeches, you'll you'll clearly understand how is it that they were trying and have done and created Space Force a different way, even though the you know the last unit that was ever set up was forty some years ago. And I think that you know, Jason, there are there are sources. I like to you know, I want to go to the horse's mouth, as they say, mm -hmm. right? So I want to go to the the number one person in that area. And I want to know when they, because the reality is we're, we're not always going to get that top secret uh, right. brief, but we do get that brief when they're talking to a think tank, right? Or when they're talking publicly about something. And there's a lot you can get out of it. I mean, I think our US laws have tremendous amount of sunlight on these issues. So uh, you get to hear a lot more than you would hear at most other countries. I don't know if I answered mm -hmm. that question, uh, but that's how I do it. <clears throat> well, yeah, what I heard was there are, there are places out there, there are people out there doing that kind of thing. Um, so I either I have to keep asking privately uh, or I keep looking. <laughs> Maybe there are no super easy answers. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm not interested in embarrassing anybody ever, uh, but I do want to hear most of the truth of what's going on. Sometimes you will not hear, as you say, the unvarnished truth because I, <laughs> that could be secret yeah. or dangerous. But uh, all right. Well, Tool, what, what are you working on these days? Uh, let, tell us about your company, Supply Wisdom. Um, and I'm not asking this because, uh, you know, it, I'm expecting an advertisement. It actually does something interesting. Um, there's another organization that I know uh, that we talked about last time um, that, that says they do something similar, but I think yours is a better filter for this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and, and tell us also not only what you do and how you do it, but who the right kind of Absolutely. customer is as well. So I think, you know, if, if you see, if you look at our world today, supply chains are incredibly globalized and incredibly complex, right? So wh whether that's, whether that's building, you know, the F-35 or whether, whether that's the, you know, the coffee that's, that gets delivered or the shirt that gets delivered to your house through Amazon. That supply chain is extremely complex. It's extremely global and tons of players. And what's, if you look, if you go back and even just the last five years and you see and say, okay, how often did we see business disruptions where supply chain got disrupted, where things did not take place, things could not, could not happen and there was a challenge, right? You will see if you did a trending, 
that the number of business disruptions are rising in frequency and they've been rising in severity, right? If you look, even if you look at natural disasters, they are more often and bigger than traditionally they have been. Sorry to the climate change uh, non-believers, but I think we've been having more challenges, more problems than we ever have. So I think what's important for organizations, companies is that you need to have a view into risk on a real-time continuous basis. Because just because you assessed the strength of a company or the strength of a location today doesn't mean it's not, it's the same tomorrow. Look at COVID, right? COVID started as a location risk in Wuhan, China, spread very quickly where you could no longer travel to certain locations. Employees had to go back and work from home. Many were falling sick. People could not take care of the infrastructure like they could. Uh, businesses shut down, financial health of businesses was impacted, and then the cyber attacks started, right? So if you had seen those risks in January, started to take actions in February and others, you could have prevented some of those disruptions. So our belief is, the company that I set up Supply Wisdom is, how can I use this massive data that is constantly being updated on the internet? Risk event, an announcement, uh, you know, a failing of a company. How can I take this massive data use machine learning, robotic process automation, and artificial intelligence to be able to see and evaluate, again, all automated, whether that risk is low or high, right? And if it's high, to be able to relate that to a company for their supply chain, for their location, so they can actually act on it. So this is all about taking real-time intelligence, making it actionable, and being able to company to act on it but also to be able to take a look at that risk in a much wider aperture, not just cyber risk, financial risk, but also are they complying with governance? Are they complying with sanctions? You know, regulatory compliance initiatives. Are they having people problems, client problems? Are the solutions mature? So to be able to do all that in real time. And you know, Jason, a uh, uh, little, little bit of a brag here, but Supply Wisdom received a patent from the US Patent Office for this technology, it is already functioning in some of the largest companies in the world. We have not focused on the federal sector in this case, but I think it has tremendous applications to the federal government, DOD and others in terms of supply chain um, risk. I finally, my final sentence is, I see this as resilience. I think what COVID-19 showed us is that our companies need to, and enterprises need to look at risk management as resilience. What does that mean? That means make sure you clearly understand your ability to act and function against all these risks. So as these risks are coming in, have a playbook so you can act on it. Just like we, our soldiers do amazingly, amazingly well in theater where they adjust to all these risks as they are rising and hopefully they have access to this real-time intelligence. Companies need to be applied to do the same thing. And that's what supply wisdom is doing is using all this intelligence and automation. And of course, humans also to be able to make sure supply chains don't get disrupted. And if they do, enterprises can act on it faster. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And uh, from the Operational Excellence Society, which I'm a member of the Board of Advisors of, I know all, all about the complexity of supply chains. And, and um, before we met, even when I looked at your company, uh, I knew how valuable uh, this service was. Um, folks, uh, Atul is going to send me some slides. I'm going to put them uh, up on our Google Drive and link to them in the description. So even if you're listening on audio, you can look at those. Uh, and also I'll link to supplywisdom.com, which is, is very easy to go get uh, information about. 
And uh, you can see if that's appropriate for you if you are running a global supply chain and want to know about problems that are arising locally that could affect you uh, around the world, then I think that's a great option. Uh, and I'm not being paid to say any of this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no money changing hands here. I just believe that it's the case. All right, Atul, thank you for doing this. Um, what, what way would you like people to connect with you uh, who feel like they want to? And, uh, and who are you looking to connect with? Absolutely. First of all, Jason, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, thank you for the questions. Sure. Uh, this is, yeah. you know, what... what um, the Department of Defense does for this country is incredible. And I think if each one of us or any of us that can have an opportunity to play a role, and, and I sometimes I think the role simply sometimes maybe providing feedback, right? Whether it's on a Google site or some kind of a blog that I think people are looking for information and looking to engage. Um, you know, I think with me, what I've, I am driven, absolutely driven to help make a difference. And sometimes that difference I do could be you know helping a school get supplies and sometimes it may be uh, you know advising the defense department so I'm, I'm absolutely committed to change and making a difference however small however big the easiest way to connect with me is on linkedin and it's you know you'll, you'll find me a tool vashist on linkedin and the reason i say that is because it's a platform that i also use to share what i find valuable right whether that's a, a, a thought that i have in certain action that general austin is taking which I did recently, uh, or whether it's uh, you know how companies should be more resilient, how individuals should uh, could uh, direct their career, and really for me it's a mechanism that I'm looking for feedback, right? Because I know more today than I knew yesterday, and it's not just a sentence. Uh, and, and the reason I, I mean by that is, you know, every time you have a conversation, you realize a different perspective. I was just before you and I got on a call, Jason. I was talking to somebody within within DoD, and they were asking me about kind of like, you know, what's the best way to, like, what's the most important voice that matters to you? And I said, you know, it's, it's the voice of the employee and voice of the customer. They totally understood the voice of the employee. They really don't pay as much attention to the voice of the customer, mm. right? If I'm doing something for the Navy, the Navy is my, my customer. And, and so, I, so please use LinkedIn to provide me feedback, to follow and, uh, you know, engage on my, uh, uh, on my posts. All right. Fantastic. It's cool. Thanks for doing this and uh, hope to have you back sometime. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. If you're interested in working with us at Cold Star Tech, here are some of the things that we can help with. There's a lot of people who talk about process, documentation, control, attention to detail, all this stuff. We help organizations become true learning organizations. Remember, if something isn't written down or recorded in some way that's accessible, searchable, findable, it didn't happen. It might as well not have happened. So if you have two people who solve a problem, a serious problem in your organization, but they do so in isolation and nobody finds out about it, which happens all the time, then it didn't really happen and nobody else can access that wisdom. So we unlock wisdom for your organization. We do a lot of things in the space industry. We have access to regulatory and legal officials who can help you if you're a space industry founder find out what areas of regulation and compliance uh, do you need to be you know, working with, compliant with. And we find a lot of folks 
don't even know about some of these areas. They don't even know that they exist. Can you imagine how you're going to stumble and stub your toe and really screw up your organization's timetable if you don't know about these things? So come and talk to us. We've got great relationships with the right people, especially in the United States and in England, and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. And so when it comes to process improvement, whether that's some sort of business documentation, business development roles, wow, have I seen some things in business development. you got founders out there who all they're doing is quoting on projects. This is a mistake. You're wasting your energy bidding on things that most of which you never even had a chance of winning in the first place. Uh, I've seen people bankrupt themselves bidding on everything or bidding on only these uh, high-end things and not realizing that you need to have a strategy so that this bidding process pays for itself. I mean, you got to learn how to screen here. And this is not something that they teach you in school. I, I had to learn it myself, so don't feel bad about it, but come talk to us about it, okay? Uh, so either it's on the business process side or the actual manufacturing of physical goods that kind of process improvement. You can come talk to us. Can this be done faster, cheaper, better? And yes, most of the time <laughs> it sure can um, because people just do stuff and the first person to invent the way of doing things uh, is the person who gets to choose most of the time how things are done. This happens all over the place. I like to point out our um, traffic signals for, for automobiles are based on the way that they ran railway traffic 100 years before that, okay? So, and this is key in the space industry right now, which is new, right? This is an area that I personally am interested in. How we figure out how to do stuff today is going to impact generations because people are so easily locked into, this is how we've always done it. And if you hear that at your organization, there's a warning bell. This is how we've always done it. You need to come talk to us at that point, okay? So reach out to us. It's easy to do. Just message me on LinkedIn or email me at jason at coldstartech.com. I want to hear from you. Thanks for listening.